Well, again today, uh, Colossians chapter 4, let me invite your attention to God's word there. Spiritual giants, gentlemen by the name of Epaphras. One of the things I love to do is read biographies, autobiographies of saints from many, many years ago. And one of the things you'll notice about them, many of them had amazing prayer lives. And in many of those writings you'll be able to read, you'll be able to see some pictures as well. It'll show hardwood floors. And on those hardwood floors, there would be dents in those floors. And not because they dropped something, it's because they spent that much time on their knees praying. And they put dents in the hardwood floors. As you look at your prayer life, as you think about praying for this church, as you think about being a prayer warrior, is God pleased and are you pleased with your prayer life? What does that look like? As we look at this church, we can look back over the years of this congregation and see the hand of God at work. Uh, we've been able to add staff members. We've been able to start new connect groups. We've been able to send mission teams literally around the world. We've been able to pay off debt. We've been able to do so many ministries when it comes to worshiping God and loving people and sharing Jesus and making disciples. Well, as we do all those things, we do that because there's praying people. There are people who are seeking the heart of God and who desire for God to do great things. And I believe the best is yet to come for First Baptist Church and for the glory of God in this congregation. And it's going to come because we're going to pray and seek the face of God. As we think about the church and we think about five years down the road, ten years down the road, and we seek, God, what is your will? What is your direction? Do we know how to pray for the church? But let me ask you this, do we know how to be the church? I was on a mission trip one time. We were in the Dominican Republic, and one of our team members came with a shirt on. It was a T-shirt, but I love the phrase because it says, don't, don't just go to church, be the church. There's a great word in that for us. And as we think about the church, I think about what God has done in the past. I think about what he's doing currently, and I think about, God, what do you want to do in the future? And I come to a passage that Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. Ephesus, and he talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3. And he just says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, as we pray, as we seek the heart of God and the face of God, we cannot begin to comprehend all that God wants to do in and through the fellowship of this church. But here's what we need. We don't need celebrities. We don't need consumers. We need servants and we need prayer warriors to see the hand of God move. How are you praying for this church? How are you asking God to use this congregation for his glory, for a kingdom, kingdom difference? Paul, again, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Colossians 4. And here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to give us 10 names in Colossians 4. I'm going to focus on one of those, the name of Epaphras. But he gives 10 names of individuals in his life whom he had served with. And he talks about Epaphras. And you may know a lot about Paul. You may know a lot about Peter. And you can talk about some other servants. But what do you know about Epaphras? For many of us, we say, I don't know a lot about him. Because, in fact, he was only mentioned three times in Scripture, two of those in the book of Colossians, one of those in the book of Philemon, just one chapter as we see. But here's what we understand about, about Epaphras. He was a Gentile because Paul said he's one of you. 
He is also a servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. Again, he's not a consumer. He's not a celebrity. He's a servant. He also says he's a faithful minister, teacher in Colossians 1. He's a faithful servant, minister, but he's also teaching the believers at Colossae about the ways of God. We also know that he was a prayer warrior. Paul's going to talk about he is always wrestling in prayer for you. And then Paul even identified him as a prisoner in Christ Jesus. Evidently, they spent time in prison together, not because they were bad or criminals, but because of their relationship and their walk with Jesus Christ. They were both prisoners for the Lord Jesus. How would people describe your life? And as we look at the life of Epaphras and we see the heart of Paul, he's encouraged with his faithful servant, faithful minister of Christ that he is pouring his life out to Jesus, but also to the believers at a place called Colossae. Paul's going to give those 10 names. He's got friends in ministry. You may want to write these down when you look at these 10 names and you understand how they related to the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had people around him. And you can put these 10 names in really three categories of people. Those who stayed, there were people who stayed close to Paul as he stayed close to Jesus. Those who prayed, he had people who prayed for him like Epaphras and other people. And then thirdly, those who strayed, those who walked away from the Lord, but also walked away from him. And you'll see that in these 10 names here. Those who stayed around him, those who prayed with and for him, and then those who strayed because they loved the world and the things of the world, they walked away from Jesus and they walked away from Paul. I want to ask you, and this is kind of an aside to the message, but as I think about this, the Lord just convicted my heart about this over the weekend as I continue to study through Colossians 4. But when you look at your life, Paul had these people around him. He didn't fly solo. He wasn't a lone ranger in ministry. He had people around him. When you look at your life, who are the friends in your life, but also in your ministry? Who are those people? Do you have a circle of friends that you can say, these friends are in my life and these friends are in my ministry? And then I want to ask you this. When you think about that circle of friends, how well do they know you in life? Those people around your life whom you would say are friends, do they know your strengths? Do they know your weaknesses? Do they know your struggles and do they know your fears? Who are those people in your life? One of the challenges we have in ministry is isolation. Another challenge we have in ministry is loneliness. That God's people, those who serve, need to put some people around them who love Jesus and who love them, whom they can be transparent with and say, these individuals, they know my strengths and weaknesses. They know my struggles and fears. They know my life and my ministry. Who are those people in your life? Psychologists and psychiatrists say this, and this is research that's been done, that only about 10% of men have cultivated relationships where they have a circle of friends. Men find it very, very difficult to cultivate friendships in life. It's only 10%. That means 90% of men really don't have that circle of friends around them. But again, let me ask you, who are your circle of friends? The good news about the Apostle Paul, he was in that 90 percentile range, he, 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 or 10%. He had people around him. He had friends around him. Who is it in your life it's asking you those questions, walking with you in life and ministry? Here's what I can tell you. 
Here's what you need. This based out of what Paul's talking about in Colossians 4. When you look at life, we, we look at an oak tree. An oak tree is a beautiful tree, but has pretty deep roots, can survive a lot of storms, so forth. But when you go out to the northwest, you see all these redwood trees, tall, massive trees, beautiful trees. But interesting about those redwood trees, their root system is very shallow. And you say, well, how do those trees, those tall, magnificent trees, how do they stand the storms and the high winds and all that comes against them out in the north, northwest? And here's how they do that. When you look at their root system, their roots are intertwined with one another. And so it's not just deep roots, they're intertwined with one another. And so when a storm comes, when adversity comes, those trees stand because literally each tree is holding one another up. When you go through life and your relationship to Christ, you need some deep roots in him. When it comes to your relationships, you need a lot of redwood trees in your life who are supporting you and praying for you and walking with you, who are going to be there when times get tough and you have needs. Who are those redwood trees in your life? Men and women, who are those people for you? Because it's not if it's going to get tough, it's when it's going to get tough. And who are those people you can say, it's a friend of mine is walking to me in life and in ministry, is a prayer warrior because a faithful friend is someone who prays. Who are those people in your life? One, one year I was in Bethlehem and, and we, we had the opportunity of going to this little store in Bethlehem and, and I was excited to go there because they said the owner of the store, his grandfather discovered the Dead Sea Scroll jars at Qumran. Oh, it's going to be amazing. So we walk in the store in Bethlehem and sure as anything right before me, there is a Dead Sea Scroll jar that his grandfather discovered, Qumran. And here's what was so interesting about it. The jar that was before me had the scrolls of Isaiah in it. And I'm looking at the actual jar right in front of me. And so I said to the gentleman who owned the store, his grandfather, I said to him, I said, just go ahead and forgive me now, but I asked a lot of questions and he, he was talkative, so I knew he was going to be okay with that. And so I just asked him some things about the Dead Sea Scroll jar and so forth. And, and then I thought, I'm going to jump in the deep end here and kind of get real personal. But I said, by the way, what do you think that jar is worth? And here's what he said, it's priceless. I said, well, I'm not surprised you would say that. I would anticipate that. But I said, but if you had to put a monetary value on that jar, what do you think it would be? He said, I don't really know that. I can tell you what I was just offered for it, and I turned it down. And so I was on the, on the end of my uh, standing there, just couldn't wait for his next moment. And he said this. He said, I was just offered $37 million for it, and I turned it down. He says, priceless. I thought, well, I'm going to take one more question here. So I said to him, I said, $37 million. You could have got a lot more than that out of it. It's in the store in Bethlehem. How do you protect it? And he said this, God is its protector. I didn't have a comeback after that. I thought, where do I go after that? I don't have where to go. But he said to me, uh, that Dead Sea Scroll jar is priceless. The kids in this room, the students in this room, the adults in this room, those who watch around the world. Let me say this. Your character and integrity before God are priceless. What you say and how you live your life should match and be priceless before God. Be men and women of character and integrity. But can I also say this? Your friendships in life, 
If you've got that circle of friends around you who love you, who walk with you, who pray for you, who know your strengths, weaknesses, your struggles, your fears, those relationships, can I tell you this, are priceless indeed as well. If you've got a circle of friends, they are priceless to you, your life, and your ministry. Who are those people around you? The Apostle Paul talks to us about a guy by the name of Epaphras. He's a prayer warrior. He's a faithful minister. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. Epaphras is one of those individuals who stood with Paul in prison, who's walking with him in life and ministry, who is faithful to the Lord, but also faithful to his servant. I want you to fill in some blanks here this morning as we walk through this. The hearts of members must be right. So we think about Epaphras, he's writing again, speaking, praying for believers in, 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 uh, in the Colossae. And here Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this down as the Lord give him direction to. As you think about the life of Epaphras, he was faithful to the Lord, also faithful to this church. I'm amazed in life and ministry. How many people who profess to be faithful to Christ who keep the church at arm's length? And here's what they say, we'll, we'll, we'll be in church on Sunday if we're in town, we'll be in church on Sunday if nothing else comes up. We'll be in church on Sunday if the game doesn't go too late. We'll be in church on Sunday if our needs are met. We'll be in church if these conditions are met. Can I just say this morning when it comes to the Lord's church and when it comes to what he wants to do in his church now and in the future, we don't need more celebrities or consumers. We need more servants. We need more people who are saying, I'm faithful to Christ. I'm de- devoted to his church. You can count on me. I'm going to be there. Consumerism is limiting the effectiveness of the Lord's church and the gospel getting to the nations. We need more servants. And so Paul's saying here about Epaphras, he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a servant or a consumer? God hasn't called you to be a consumer. He's called you, if you're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, he's called you to be a servant. And Epaphras is one of those individuals. You think, what does it mean to be a servant? Look at these. Number one, see Jesus. When you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a servant. Philippians chapter 2 talks about him leaving the glories of heaven, coming to this earth and taking on human flesh, ultimately dying on a cross. Philippians 2 is about Jesus not being a consumer but being a servant. And we also see in John chapter 13, Jesus in that upper room was willing to take a basin of water and a towel and wash the nasty, crusty feet of those disciples. He was a servant. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Aren't you grateful that Jesus went to a cross and shed his blood and gave his life and victorious over death in the grave? He did that for you and for me. Jesus' servant. According to Romans 8, the goal of the Christian life is to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at your life, are you becoming like him? The way you think, the way you speak, the way you live your life, are you becoming like him? He wants us to be servants. And so when you look at it, again, are you growing in the likeness of Christ, but also are you a servant in Christ Jesus as well? One is to see Jesus. Number two, release control. If you and I are going to be servants, we release control. We're not trying to be in control. He's the one who's in control. 
And many churches are not effective and they're not making a kingdom difference the way God wants them to because of power struggles in the life of the church. You and I need to realize whether you're the pastor, the deacons, church members, we should not be the ones in control. The Lord Jesus is the one in control. So if we're going to be a servant, we release control to say, Jesus, you are sovereign. We're following your will and your leadership. You are the one who is in control. And then number three, we follow leadership. When you look at Epaphras, he was a great servant because he was a good follower. He followed the leadership of Christ. He understood the example of the Apostle Paul. And so if we're going to be a great leader, we need to be a great follower because the great leaders I know are great followers. The Bible has more to say about following than it does leading. So if you're going to be a leader, learn how to follow. Are you following the leadership of Christ? Are you following others whom he's put in positions of leadership? Are you a good follower? Because servants know how to follow Jesus and follow other people. Follow leadership. Number four, display humility. When you think about display humility, you go back and think again about the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to be great servants, then we need to display humility, not pride, but humility. Because Jesus in John 13, can you imagine this again? The upper room, the disciples, somebody should have been washing feet. No one's volunteering. Everyone's reclined at the table. And Jesus... To show them the full extent of his love, what does he do? He, he stands up, he takes a basin of water and takes off his robe and gets a towel. What does he do? He bends down and starts washing the feet of his disciples. In John 13, you don't read anything or hear anything about Jesus saying, I'm the son of God. I'm the savior of the world. I mean, they should be washing my feet, not me washing their feet. Jesus was a servant. So as you and I look and becoming in the image of the likeness of Christ, you have to realize the goal of the Christian life is not can I stand in the spotlight. It's not can I pastor a big church. It's not can I have people asking for my autograph because I've been writing books. The goal of the Christian life is to be like the Lord Jesus. And what did he do? He displayed humility. He was a servant. You and I need to display humility and be servants for the glory of God in Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Are we servants? The hearts of members must be right if we're going to seize what God wants to do the next five to ten years in this church. Number two, the behaviors of members must be consistent. When you look at the life of the Epaphras, he was very, very consistent. He was faithful to the Lord's word. He was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to prayer. He was a prayer warrior. Uh, Let me ask you today, when you look at your time in God's word and prayer, is God pleased with the amount of time you spend with an open Bible and on your knees, your face, or sitting before God having a conversation with him? Is he pleased with that? And then when it comes to your prayer life, is God pleased with the way you pray? You seek his heart. You seek his face. You seek lostness around the world. You seek for heart of God for this church and the will of God for this church. Is he pleased with the way that you pray? Because the behavior of members must be consistent. What does that mean? Number one, I understand prayer. I hope you realize when you and I pray, we're having a conversation with God. As you and I pray, we're not trying to impress somebody else around us. We're having a conversation with God. God, thank you that you allow me to talk to you. But God, thank you that I get to listen to what you say to me. Understand prayer. Again, it's a conversation. It's time with our Heavenly Father. 
It's a time we get to come and sit in, in his presence or get before him in his presence to listen to him, understand what prayer is. God is inviting us to come into his presence and have a conversation with him. Number two, ask Jesus. What are you asking Jesus to do in your life? In Luke chapter 11, we see this great passage. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting in that passage. They did not ask Jesus to say, Jesus, will you teach us how to build church buildings? Jesus, will you teach us how to preach sermons? Jesus, will you teach us how to sing songs? Jesus, will you teach us how to do whatever it may be? Lord, teach us how to pray. Have you asked him? Just Jesus, you could teach me many things in life and you will. But if you ask Jesus, the expert, the son of God, to teach you how to have a conversation with him and the heavenly father, ask him to do that. And then number three, surrender today. And that just means you surrender your life because when you look at Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, always, not every now and then, not sometimes, but always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, he was a prayer warrior for this church and for God's people. Surrender today. To say, God, maybe you're not pleased with my prayer life, but I surrender to you today. God, you may not be pleased with the amount of time I spend in the word and having conversations with you. God, that needs to change today. You surrender your life and all to him today. Here's a great challenge for us as a church. Coming up here in just about three weeks, we're seeking to have a 24-hour window of prayer as a church. Somebody praying an hour, and we're going to do it for 24 hours straight starting at 8.15 on a Saturday morning and ending at 8.15, 8.30 on a Sunday morning, but covering the entire day in a season of prayer for this church. Amen. Going to be guided on how to do that. We're encouraging people to come to this worship center and pray right here as you can, all hours of the day, all hours of the night. We'll have safety, security people. Everything is going to be well done. But will you be a part of that group where you come and pray for an hour? Jesus spent the entire night on a mountainside praying. He encouraged his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him for an hour, and they fell asleep, could not do it. But will you join the Lord Jesus Christ praying for this church, praying for God to use us? Will you do so for an hour? You have to realize we're talking about 24 people minimum to do that to cover this church for 24 hours. We have 5,500 members in this church. I pray, God forbid, that we have to beg and, and just encourage after, to get you to do that. I pray there's a table out in the concourse today when you leave. You can go ahead and sign up for an hour to say, God, count on me on that Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, early Sunday morning. Count on me to be on that list to pray and to seek, God, your heart for this church and for the days ahead. The behavior of believers must be consistent. Surrender today. Will you do that? Anytime's names are going to be on that list. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that we're not going to do ourselves. We want to be here for an hour at least, seeking the heart of God for what God wants to do in and through this church, in this city, in this state, nation, but to the nations around the world. And again, he said what? My church will be a house of prayer. Will you pray? Number three, the prayers of members must be specific. Here's what he says in this passage to Paphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greet you always, struggling in behalf of his prayers. And here's why he prayed for them, that you may stand mature. You need to be not infants in Christ, but mature in Christ. 
You need to be fully assured in all the will of God. So you need to know the will of God. And he says, for I bear witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Iopolis, you have to realize when you pray God's way, that is hard work. It's not easy. If God calls you into Christian ministry and you say yes to the call of God, your yes is on the table. You need to realize serving in vocational Christian ministry is hard work. It's not easy. It's not for the lazy. And God calls us to work hard. Yes, we want to find balance, but God calls us to work hard. There's sacrifice involved in the midst of that. And here Epaphras is, he is struggling. He's working hard for God's people. And he's very specific in their prayers. I want you to be mature in Christ. And I want you to know and do the will of God as a church. What about you and me when it comes to praying? Do you pray general prayers or do you pray specific prayers? Here's what I mean by that. God saved the lost. That's a general prayer. Specific prayer is God save Billy. God save Betty. God save, and you put a name in there. That's very specific. God heal those who are sick. That's very general. God, God heal, and then you start putting names into that. God use your church versus God use First Baptist Church. And then you start praying for this church that God would use us to make Jesus known to the nations for the glory of God as well. How are you praying, general or specific? Now, over the next few minutes, I want to give you these seven, you see, and I'm getting ready to add three, so you're going to get a bonus. The more I prayed, the more I studied, God gave me three more that I need to share as well. Because they're, they're challenging to my heart as well. I'm standing here today because God's called me, but also because it's a challenge in my own walk with him as well. I want to give you these. How do we pray? How should we seek the heart of God? Number one, lost people. Who do you know by name outside of a relationship with Christ? And I encourage you, pray for that lost person by name. And as you pray for that lost person by name, you're also praying that God will open the door, that you could very well be the answer to that prayer. You could have a gospel conversation with someone whom you're praying for by name who is lost. Let me ask you today, if we're not careful, we can start focusing inward a lot. But when you inventory your relationships in your life, are you praying by name for a single lost person every day of your life? Who are you praying for are lost? Number two, political leaders. The Bible and the book of Timothy is very clear. We should pray for those who are in authority. Please understand this. There, there are going to be many political leaders we agree with. We feel like they have our values. They know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're praying for them to stand strong for Christ and the word. We're praying for them to be salt and light and to be his witness. We're praying God will use their faithfulness. But there are also going to be many politicians that we disagree with and that we would not stand eye to eye with on many of the issues and values, but we can still pray for them. There are going to be many politicians from all indication who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we pray for those men and women to be convicted of their sin, come to a place of repentance and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and experience new life in Christ. This weekend, I've been, been tracking uh, the congresswoman who was at a prayer breakfast the other morning and made a comment about a sexual sin in her life. And the people laughed about it at a prayer breakfast. And she said it was a joke what she said. And I just sat there and said, oh, God, help us. 
if we get to a prayer breakfast where we're seeking the heart of God and, and we make light of some conversation about a sexual sin in our lives from that morning, God help us. Political leaders. Number three, our nation. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our nation. I find it interesting when I read Protestant Reformation, Scottish Reformation, you come across the name of John Knox. John Knox was a very distinguished man, had this long beard. If he was alive today, he'd have, he'd have his own television show. He had this huge, I mean, beard, very impressive beard. But John Knox was famous back in the 1500s for making the statement. Here's what Knox said. He said, give me Scotland or I die. What an incredible prayer. Give me Scotland or I die. Let me ask you in this room, those watching, who of us in this room are saying, give me Clarksville or I die? Who in this room is saying, God, give me Tennessee or I die? God, give me America or I die? God, give me this nation or I die? Who's praying those kind of prayers for our nation? We need to come before God and cry out to God for lost people, political leaders, but also our nation as well. Number four, our church. Epaphras was praying for this church, Colossae, asking God to move in the midst. How are we praying for this church? Let me give you these ways. I just encourage you to pray. How can you pray for this church? Pray for our staff. Pray for our leaders. Pray for me as your pastor. There's nothing sweeter than, than to have somebody come up on a Sunday morning and say, let me pray for you, or I've been praying for you this week. What wonderful words that we can hear. I'm praying for you. What a great thing. Pray for us as leaders, self as your pastor. Pray also that we'll know and do the will of God in life. Here, God, here's what your will is, and God, we're going to do it. Even when it comes to the faith building, there are a lot of different opinions about that. What do we do, not do with it? But God, what do you want us to do? What's faithful to you? How do we carry out your will in all areas of life and ministry? Pray for those who are members of this church, but they're missing in action. They're not here in the worship gathering. They're not in your connect group. They've dropped out of ministry. Who used to be here but's missing now? How are you praying that those individuals would be reconnected with the Lord's church again? Who are you praying for? And then I would encourage you to pray this way as well. Pray that we will be spiritually healthy as a church and pray that we will be relationally united as a church as well how you can pray for this church number five spiritual revival are we asking god to move in our church revival among the people of god move in our city move in our state nation and around the world are we broken over casual christianity are we tired of just going through the motions of the christian life do we come and say god move a powerful move of your spirit in our day in our generation god it will be clearly evident you did this we didn't do this god you did this are we praying for spiritual revival number six other churches when you find other churches in our community, in our area, biblically focused, lifting up Christ, he's the only way to be saved, believing God's word, please understand we're not in competition with those other churches. We are co-laborers together in Christ. I love those pastors, those churches. Are we praying that other churches will come together and we will make a difference for Jesus in this city and around the world? You have to realize if we're going to penetrate lostness in our community, our state, our nation, and around the world, it takes all of us. The army of God must come together in unity and say, Jesus, we are all about you. And we do that together. Other churches. Number seven, family members. Are you praying for family members by name? 
Do you have a family member who's outside of a relationship with Christ? Died today, spend eternity in hell because he or she does not know Jesus as Savior. Do you have a family member who's a prodigal, living away from the Lord Jesus, made decisions about loving the world rather than loving Christ? Are you praying for that family member to come home and experience the love of God again in his or her life? Do you have a family member who's living away from the fellowship of God's church? Don't see the value in coming on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, other opportunities. Do you have family members who need God to touch their lives again? How are you praying for those family members by name to be exactly where God wants them to be? Let me give you some bonus ones now. Broken relationships. Do you have any broken relationships in your life that you need to be praying for? I have a broken relationship in my life I've been praying for for two years. I'm going to continue to seek the heart and the face of God that that relationship one day could be reconciled and restored. I have to persevere through that. What about you? What about broken relationships in your life? Let me give you number nine, local schools. Me and schools will go back next week, some the week after that. We need to be praying for local schools. We live in a dangerous, dangerous world. And we need to pray God's protection over our schools. I was watching the news in Nashville this weekend. An employee at a furniture store made a statement to another employee at the furniture store and said, I need to go buy a gun and shoot up a school. And he said, it's in my blood. If you hear something like that, say something. That other employee reported that. The police came and arrested this young man. And sure as anything, two days before he was arrested, had purchased a gun and it was in his car. Pray for local schools. We live in a dangerous, dangerous place. Number 10, personal surrender. Are you surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Epaphras, a prayer warrior, he was surrendered to Christ. What about you? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? If life ended today, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Do you know and you live your life or you're yes on the table? Ain't not always pray, oh God, we want to be surrendered, but we want to make sure yes is on the table for us. God, yes, when you call us, you ask us, yes is, is our response. What about you? Personal surrender. I want to challenge you in the room of those who are watching, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you, surrender your life to him right now. He'll save you at this very moment. Call on his name, Romans ten thirteen. Call on the name of Jesus. Confess your sin, repent of your sin, trust him to be your Savior. He'll save you at this very moment. But also I want to encourage you, you're a believer in Christ, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He can be your Savior, but he's the Lord of your life where, yes, Lord, whatever you want, yes, Lord, whatever you ask, yes, Lord, wherever you send, yes is our answer because we've surrendered to you. Pretty much every Sunday morning, I, I've closed my Bible and I finish this message in prayer. This morning, I want to close a little bit different. I want to bow our heads together, whether you're in the room or you're watching somewhere else. I'm going to be down front in just a moment. Our prayer team is going to be down front. Our pastoral staff will be down front. This morning, rather than me praying, I'm asking you to pray. 
How do you need to pray for yourself? How do you need to pray for this church? How do you need to pray for another person by name in your life? How do you do that? I want to encourage you. This church, we need people praying. There are people in your life by name need you praying for them. There are decisions that need to be made in the room and those who watch online. Decisions need to be made. There's a chance for you to be involved in this 24-hour prayer focus. You can be involved in that. With heads bowed as we begin into the invitation time where we're asking you to come to Jesus. Individuals, couples, families, this altar is open. Right now, rather than me praying, how do you need to get up out of your seat and walk down one of these aisles and get on your face before God and just say, oh God, here's my need this morning and I bring it before you. God, here are the needs of this church. We bring them before you. God, here's somebody in my life I need to pray for by name. Oh God, I cry out for his or her salvation. Coming back to you, coming back to church. God, I bring these people before you. How do you need to do that? Today is an opportunity for you to pray. And to say, oh God, use me today.